Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we are... This is the second time we have recorded a show from a hotel room at the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. So we did it last year, and we're here this year. Yes, uh, and this year I am actually participating with you on the panel. Last time I was just randomly here at the same time doing focus groups yes. for a client. And, and so- now we're here. We're going to do a live show for Left, Right, and Center with KCRW, the local public radio uh, station, and Left, Right, and Center, the show that is now an hour show hosted by Josh Barrow that Chris and I have both been on a bunch of times. So you guys should definitely also download the live show. It'll be pushed out as a podcast if you were not here listening to it and then record listening to our podcast but there's a, there's a bar here for the the live show so that yes. you know so if you want to really recreate the experience for yourself yes there's a get bar here a, in your hotel yourself, room get yourself a beverage yeah that's right so here the the this is my first time staying at an ace hotel the one I, the one in new york is a great place to get drinks with someone before you take a train home because it's walking distance to Penn Station. Is there really an Ace Hotel next to Penn Station? Really? Oh, well, I, yeah, it's like a couple blocks oh, away, and they have like a, a, an oyster bar and a coffee bar, and it's it's fantastic. So, mm. But so this is my first time staying in one, and I laughed last night. I'm I'm not a picky person, but I had to move hotel rooms <laughs> because my first room was like on the fourth floor, but the window looked right into this alley, and there was all of this loud, like super creepy music coming up through the alley. It sounded like a horror movie techno hour. And I was like, uh, I am so jet lagged. I have to sleep. I f- I'm, 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 am I too Republican? I don't know. I just like, get these kids off my lawn. It's pretty hip here. I it's mean, I have to hip. say, I felt like I'm very glad I brought my weekend leather jacket and not my work leather jacket with me. Cause it's definitely <laughs> like, you know, I'm just trying to put business Margie away and have like, you know, my LA alternative ego. And see, I bought, up. I went out and bought this like, totally Ivanka Trumpy dress that I'm going <laughs> to like yeah. I'm like leaning into the Republican thing but I it turned out that the uh techno horror music was the guys who have scored Stranger Things doing a show of all of the music from Stranger Things right so, so I was not hallucinating that it was like really creepy electronic music and in fact I wish I had just gone to the show but like listening to it halfway like second third yeah. hand through an alley was just super unsettling yeah i went up to the b- i went up to the bar with my friend and we were like oh we're too old for this bar <laughs> we have to go back downstairs where they're serving coffee and avocado toast we're like that's where we need to be okay so we're gonna do like not our full length show well we're gonna do what we can get through because we do have to go downstairs and do mic check and all that jazz, right? So, yeah, we're, so you're, you're going to get like two thirds of a show. Yes, but then you're also going to listen to left, right, and center, and you know, and maybe you saw us, or maybe you didn't on ABC online on election night. So there's lots of Margie and Kristen takes floating around out there this week. Um, so what are the 
top lines. Uh, this week, we had the Virginia uh, gubernatorial race. We'll take a look at whether the pollsters were right or wrong and what voter groups really drove Ralph Northam's victory. Uh, and the Margie Margin. We now have a polling <laughs> concept named after our dear co-host. Oh, uh, we will talk about what the Margie Margin is and why that should uh, have factored into how confident you are when looking at the polls. Then we'll take a look at Trump, his job approval. Is he an anchor around Republicans next on the ballot? And then a little bit of polling around sexual harassment issues and people's views on transgender issues. Yeah. So always timely, right? Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. So first, let's talk about Virginia headed into the it was a great night for Democrats, by the way. It was so such a relief to have a good election night because on, you know, for my feed this week, all my Dem friends who listen to the show, I, I know you've seen this where Facebook is coming up like, hey, you might want to know that a year ago you were celebrating going into the voting booth with your child and dog and, you know, your Hillary Clinton stickers. And and everybody was miserable to see those one-year memories. People sending out, please, how do I turn this off? Someone help me. I'm freaking out. Um, so then to have the election night, at basically around the same exact day, be – you know, this very clear rebuke of Trump was just very healing and cathartic for people. And there was not just Virginia, it was up and down the, t the ticket in Virginia, it was around the country, all over the place. So it was very healing. But also, th the first question is really, what were our expectations? And were the pollsters right or wrong? Like before we even dig beneath the surface, because there was a lot of public polling, there was some debate over the public polling, it all most of it, by and large, seemed to point toward a Northam win. I mean, there were some that suggested Gillespie would win, but by and large, it all was really pointing toward Northam win. The average was around a three, three or four point Northam win. That was a little bit lower than where it ended up. Um, I, I, and, and is I that a miss I, or is that a win? And what do we think I about think that? I think that is considerably south of what the polls suggested. This is one of those ones where because the polling average got the direction right, the polling average showed Northam would win and, and by a couple points. Um, it, it doesn't feel like, oh, the polls were totally wrong, but Northam winning by almost nine points is not what the polls showed. In fact, there is only one pollster out there that showed Northam winning by nine, and that is Quinnipiac. Right. And Quinnipiac was the one that everybody was like, what are you talking about? Cause they had a poll a week out or two weeks out that had Northam up by 17. And this was coming on the heels of uh, like a Hampton University poll that had Gillespie by eight. Um, around that time, you had the polling company, Kellyanne Conway's former company with like Gillespie by two, Gillespie by three. And so like Northam by 17 just felt crazy. But in the end, Quinnipiac's last poll had Northam by nine. And that is like exactly what happened. 
Yeah, so I guess there are so a couple- kudos to them. Yes, and so there are a couple things that could happen. Now, that poll, I think, was RDD, and Steve Shepard had a good story. We talked about it last week about how RDD was showing different results than the voter file. And in Virginia, in what is typically a lower turnout election, because it's an odd-year election, so it's not going to have the same turnout as a presidential year, um, using a voter file allows you to, you know, n- not let in a variety of voters who are over-reporting their likelihood of voting, who just vote in presidential elections, or maybe they don't even vote at all. They would be let into a sample frame that was RDD. They may not even be registered voters, period, let alone drop-off voters, um, And so, which is a very valid debate. Um, but there was a little bit higher turnout than I think maybe expected in this this past election. So that could be part of it. It also could be what Sean Trendy and RCP dubbed the Margie margin, right? I'm so excited about this. <laughs> this was, somebody I know from high school was like, uh, posted it. That's how I found out about it. And I completely freaked out. So there was a headline that says Virginia polls are within the Margie margin. And so folks may remember from last year, there was this exercise at the upshot where uh, Nate Cohn had a variety of different pollsters. It had Kristen's shop, Kristen and Patrick from her shop, uh, myself and my former colleagues at B- PSB, uh, Andrew Gelman's academic, David Rothschild, uh, who's w- with uh, Predictive Markets. And I don't know if there was another person. I can't remember. Sorry, other person, if you, who that person was. I think that might have just been I it. Think that was it. And, um, using, and then also the New York Times and Siena College waiting, right? So that everybody waited the same unweighted data file, which came in plus seven for Clinton. This was in Florida. And, the weighting that we did came in plus four, and the weighting that Andrew Gelman did came in pl- plus one for Trump, and then everybody else was in between. And everybody had a different theory as to how to approach weighting, and they were all defensible. I mean, th- you know, I we internally at PSB had a dispute. There was a margin margin within our firm about how to approach this because I was looking at it thinking, you know, let's not I – mean, it's coming in Democratic, and we – have the data or we have our assumptions about how the party should break out. Let's just go with what the data is adjusting some of the demographics that we know as opposed to thinking it looked dim to, uh, to me didn't seem not, not that's how other people approach, but I I want to overcorrect based on assumptions when we had data that was telling us one thing specifically. And this was pretty far out from the election. So it's not really sort of predictive of where things ended up in Florida on in November. Um, But that wide gap is now was like, was enough to make people think, well, maybe when we see a poll and the number is X, that doesn't mean that that's like a final answer. There's lots of different approaches. And when races are in single digits, you can have all kinds of different results. So looking at these, where I'm getting to is when you look at these results that had plus three or four, is it like hurting, a type of hurting where people with these data sets are saying, well, the average out there is plus three. Maybe I don't want a waiting system that's going to a waiting scheme that's going to have my data come in plus nine for Northam because that's going to look like an outlier. Quinnipiac didn't care. They were in YOLO mode and they wound up being right. They, you know, Our YOLO modes, by the way, are so mild. <laughs> like, like, people are out there like in real actual YOLO mode and we're like, Cambridge Analytica may actually not be that close to the Trump campaign. We're like, somebody's waiting scheme, you know, Bart Penn disagrees with me on qualitative. Like people are out there like taking, you know, 
YOLO very seriously. <laughs> Donna Brazil. <laughs> but anyway, let's be that as it may. Yes, Queen Piac uh-huh. was in YOLO mode with the waiting scheme for their last Virginia poll. But I wonder, you know, so I'm looking at this, that the last polls that came out, um, you know, the, the last polling company won, had Northam by one. You had the last Trafalgar group won, which had Northam by one. These are these are like Republican firms, and they are identified as Republican firms uh, in in this this sheet, we have Rasmussen reports that had the race tied, and we know Rasmussen, I think, tends to have a house effect that is fairly Republican. And I think there is a question of did – have pollsters become too self-conscious about this whole missing Trump voter, you guys are all fake news, there are all these people that vote Republican, but they're too shy to tell pollsters, and so have overcorrected – to where a big Democratic lead or a big Democratic turnout surge, people go, uh, yeah, but what if I Democrats aren't going to win? What if I'm missing? But what if I'm missing something, you right. know? And so I do not. I know on election night, we were kind of like, hey, pollsters, give yourselves a hand. But like in looking at this now, I don't know that pollsters should get a hand for. Th- I mean, certainly if I was a Democrat, I would be ticked at the pollsters. Not us, the pollsters. You should love us. <laughs> I mean, just broadly, because like we caused a lot as an industry, right, right. caused a lot of anxiety. Ain't our probably <laughs> it, it wasn't our polls, but like a lot of anxiety that probably wasn't necessary. Um, and the the DJ, uh, I think I saw on Twitter today that um, a pollster, somebody with the DGA, posted their internals. And it showed like a big drop in Gillespie's favorables over the last few weeks as a lot of this like MS-13 messaging was out there. Um, so, you know, the polls could have moved. You know, if you had a poll uh, a couple of weeks ago that had Gillespie up or whatever, you know, I, I that doesn't mean, oh, gosh, you lose your your moron. Not at all. Um, but here in the home stretch, I mean – I feel like if you had this race tied or Northam won, like that's a long ways away from Northam by eight. That's not like, eh, it's margin of error. Polls aren't, yeah, polls aren't supposed to, you know, if polls don't get it perfect, that's fine. Totally agreed. But like nine points is, that's a lot. Yeah. So I, pollsters, it was, uh, it was okay. It was okay. But don't overcorrect for, what happened last right, time. Right, And so then the question is, were the internal campaign polls for the campaigns or for other people watching and advising the campaigns, were those correct? So, you know, is it that the public polling people were hurting or they were trying to stay within the margie margin because they didn't want to be like, you know, out someplace and they wanted to be within, f- within five to six points of whatever happened, you know, um, or, and then the, but the campaign polls showed something else. We don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, you know, well, well, one day maybe somebody will tell us, but, um, um, I'll try to sleuth it out. Yeah. We can try and figure <laughs> it out. Um, but what did we actually learn from looking at the exit polls, right? So the exit polls and, and Chris and I, we were doing, uh, coverage. And so we were watching the exit polls roll in and it was, you know, early it seemed like, and, and then these results held that the, so many different ways that pointed to a Northam win, all the different places where you saw Northam strength, whether it's the party breakout, the 
age breakout, the race breakout, obviously all those things are related, but just the percentage of the electorate, before you even look at the sub, what happened within the subgroups, just that composition would make it very hard for Gillespie to, to, you know, to run up the score anywhere else and be able to win. Yeah. I mean, and if you look like, so age, that's, you know, my, my favorite cross tab. It, it is a slightly older electorate than what you saw in the 2016 election, you know, the 18 to 29 group. You lose four, four percentage points there. Um, the 30 to 44 group, you lose a point there and you kind of, you add all of those points to the, you know, 65 and up group. So it's, it's a slightly older electorate on balance, but the numbers among young voters for Republicans, I mean, they're ugly. You have Northam winning 69% of voters 18 to 29, with Gillespie only winning 3 out of 10. That is worse than John McCain did nationally against Barack Obama in, like, what was a, an historic, like, disastrous result for Republicans. But this is – and I've said this on the show before – the bigger worry for Republicans should be this 30 to 44 age group, which also breaks by a 61 to 37 margin for Northam. It used to be like, okay, well, you know, they're young kids, but they'll get into their 30s and then they'll all become Republicans. And it's not happening. The 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 30-somethings are voting like 20-somethings. Right. And remember, this is still, you know, by comparison to midterm and presidential years, this, these odd year elections, electorates are going to be a little, are going to skew more conservative because lower turnout elections tend to benefit Republicans. Um, but you have the percentage of young voters were 18 to 29 being 14% here. They were 13% in 2013, the last gubernatorial election. And not only that, Northam did better with this group than McAuliffe did in that election where he got roughly let's call it 45% for McAuliffe with that group um, compared to 69% for Northam. I mean, that's a pretty big jump. Um, the other piece that was pretty important, and you also saw this in the in the results of all the races and the folks who won, all the candidates who won in the House of Delegates, the composition, the racial composition of the electorate, where this electorate was 67% white. Um, and that's, you know, that's much more like the 2016 presidential election, which, which is not what happens in off years, normally. right? Which was 60, also 67 percent white in 2013. It was 72 percent white, and McAuliffe won that, but with a more hostile elector in terms of race. Um, but you have, you know, this a lower percentage that are white in this election. Um, that makes a real difference. I mean, because you know, white voters voted for Gillespie, but non-white voters voted for Northam. Yeah, and and this is the I wrote my column about it this week. I mean, the the racial composition of the electorate looked pretty similar to the racial composition of the 2016 electorate, and Gillespie's numbers looked pretty similar to Trump's numbers. And this there's now this debate on the right about oh, did Gillespie get too close to Trump, or did he not get close enough to Trump? And what's bothering me is again revisionism. I don't mind people who are wrong. I mind people who say one thing and then that thing is wrong and then they pretend like they had said another thing. Like, I'm Steve Bannon, I'm looking at you with this whole, oh, Gillespie, this is going to prove Trumpism without Trump. This is, this is, he, he got all this enthusiasm from embracing the Trump agenda and now it's gone down in flames and he's like, Ed Gillespie, I don't even, I don't even know that guy. He's, that party's moving on to defending even, Roy Moore. Whoa. <laughs> 
I was am I at Gillespie? Roy Moore's our guy. I went on. I went on um, the Michael Knowles show, which is like a Daily Wire, like conservative podcast here, taped in California. And I, I got in the car from downtown LA to drive to Sherman Oaks, and that's like a fifty minute drive that time of day. And I got to the studio, and I hadn't looked at my phone because don't look at your phone while you're driving, kids. It's not safe. And so they're like, "Oh my gosh, we have to talk about what happened in Alabama." And I'm like, "What? What happened in Alabama?" And my oh, my buddy Matt yeah. was like, I'll, I'll read you the story from the Washington Post because they like threw me into makeup. And so he starts reading the story and he got a couple of paragraphs in. And he's like, um, I'm actually not going to read this next paragraph <laughs> out so loud bad. if that's it's okay. So I'm I like, no, wanna, yeah, don't. I just want to like turn. I just want to like tip over some tables and just start smashing stuff. It's so horrible. And like he's so I mean, like how much more? First of all, how much more information you need about Roy Moore? Like he's, you know, extremist and a and a crook, right? And like, oh, Annie is a pedophile. Okay, like, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So I know we're a we're a bipartisan show here, and so I'm I wear the red hat, you know, periodically. Although I guess I can't really use that phrase anymore because red hat now sort of implies right. whatever. Anyhow, I um, yeah, I'm I'm not interested in defending one more. <laughs> if you've come to this podcast looking for that, you've come to the wrong podcast. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I mean, e- so then going back to Virginia, you saw race, gender, um, age, and then the party breakout, and th- this was starting to you'd see this start to solidify early in the night, and then it just held the rest of the night where there was a really sizable gap between D's and R's. I mean, there was an 11 point gap, 41% of the electorate. It wound up being 11 in the end. Yeah. Republicans were 30%. It was 10 while they were still like waiting it when we were at ABC. Holy Moses. Yep. And then in, in 16, it was plus seven Dem. And then in 13, it was plus five Dem. And in, in 09, it was plus four R. You know, back when Virginia used to be a red state, which this is being used as evidence by those who say, oh, the Republicans actually shouldn't panic about this because Virginia is a blue state. Of course, you're going to lose a gubernatorial race in a blue state. But it wasn't a blue state eight years ago, which is the point. Like, right. that's the problem. The problem isn't just that Ed Gillespie lost. The problem is that Virginia was an R plus four state and is now a D plus 11 state. Right. And so how much of that is people saying, this isn't my party anymore. I'm now a Democrat. Or how much is people moving there? Or, or maybe. Or Republicans just not. But, but or it's Republicans also, staying home, you know? But it, this is the, if, if you were a Bannonite type and you wanted to make the case that Oh, Ed Gillespie, it depressed Republicans didn't turn out like they should have. Then what you would expect is for Gillespie to have gotten like significantly fewer votes than Trump. But that's not really what happened. I mean, you look at Southwest Virginia, which is kind of Trump country and Gillespie like killed it there. But that there's not enough votes in Southwest Virginia and in the Trump Trump esque parts of Virginia to win. So there you go. You can't win with losing Loudoun County by. Right. A bajillion points. Right. That's a scientific fact. A bajillion <laughs> points. <laughs> That's the Kristen margin, That's right? That's the Kristen margin. <laughs> so, and then some other things that were debated before heading into the election and that people are trying to piece together after the election is what was the role of things like immigration or the Latino Victory Fund, I think is the name of the group, or the um, ad that 
The pickup truck ad. The pickup truck ad that ran like once or twice on broadcast or cable. It did occupy a big share of my Twitter feed, which does not necessarily reflect what it occupied. Tweets don't vote. Right. To to update the yard signs don't vote slogan. (laughs) Tweets don't vote. Um, And uh, so – but – so the, there was a lot of discussion. Did that change the dynamic of the race? Was that a big moment when that ad came up and everybody responded to it and then it was taken down? And then Northam made, seemed to make some sort or made some comments about sanctuary cities and did that like scramble the race in a way that was going to show vulnerability for Northam or who knows, right? That was the debate headed into the election. Um, but if you look at the exit polls, 20% of voters said they decide, roughly decided within the last week. And the people who decided within the last week voted even more for Northam than the people who decided, you know, before the last week. And so if you look at that, you know, when did you make up your mind that those recent voters were more likely to be Northam voters? The argument that the pickup truck ad, well, really not the ad, but all the, you know, the is this deplorables 2.0? Yes, the conversation about the ad did that change things. Um, and then the other thing that was super interesting, and my friend Shannon Watts with Moms, uh, Moms, uh, uh, Demand Action and Every Town tweeted this out. Um, the surprising finding of what was the issue that drove your vote? They had five different answer categories in the exit polls. You can't really; it's hard to boil down an entire campaign into five. Words, but they chose gun policy, healthcare, abortion, immigration, or taxes. Which one of these? And healthcare was a plurality, 39%. And then number two was gun policy. And gun policy voters broke evenly. So the myth that if you're going to the polls thinking about guns, then you were probably going to vote Republican was not borne out by this. Now, we don't know if that's because of the you know, the tragedies, the recent tragedies in the run-up to the election, mass shootings in a variety of places. Is it something specific about Gillespie? Is it some other campaign, you know, or other efforts locally? You know, we don't know the answer to that. But that, I think, was surprising for a lot of folks who wouldn't necessarily think that about gun policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is, I think, for Republicans, the biggest flashing red light in this is the health care being the top issue for 39% of voters far, 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 far and away the top issue. And Republicans get crushed three to one on that. If healthcare was your top issue, then by a three to one margin, you went for the Democrat. So even though Republicans benefited mightily in off-year elections in the past because they would run ads about Obamacare and Obamacare wasn't terribly popular, like the sh- the, the, it, the the script has been flipped, it seems. And uh that should be a huge red warning flag for Republicans. I think there are probably quite a few red warning flags from these results, I, I would so. say. And one thing that a phrase you heard a lot um, afterwards was Trump was really on the ballot. Trump was on the ballot this election. And that's what does this mean for candidates in 2018? What are they going to say about Trump? Is Trump going to be a problem? Um He's at 39% in his overall approval. That's unchanged. Um, and, you know, maybe surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly, Morning Consul and Politico did a poll that showed that only 7% of Trump voters and 8% of Clinton voters said they would vote for a different candidate if they could complete their ballot again. Yeah, there's there is not really buyer's remorse among Trump voters, which is a 
a theme that consistently comes up. I mean, the people who voted for him aren't sad that they did and don't think he's been some epic disappointment, but there just may not be enough of them who participate in the midterms to counteract the voters who would prefer a Congress that really pumps the brakes on this president. Um, so I think for if, if there's any lesson to take away from Virginia and it, there's always caution when it comes to like extrapolating too much, right? There was a really interesting factoid I saw, which is that in the last five, I think five presidency. No, that can't be correct. It's basically that the Virginia and, uh, New Jersey Senate or gubernatorial races have always broken against the new president's party in his first term. That when Obama was elected in 08, then in 09, you have Republican Bob McDonnell and Republican Chris Christie win in Virginia and New Jersey. That if you go back, I forget who the Democrats were that won those races when Bush had his first term. And then you go back even further, and I think it was when Clinton was first elected, it was like Christine Todd Whitman won in I forget who they were, but like they listed out the last mm -hmm. five presidents, mm -hmm. their first term in office, New Jersey and Virginia have both gone to the other party. Hmm. So maybe it's just, you know, voodoo magic. Maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with Trump, Margie. Maybe it's just like history demands it. Well, I mean, right. That's the thing. Like, is this just how these waves work? And, you know, you're, if I'm a Republican and I am, uh, I'm not banking on that. And, you but, know, there's nothing you, know, you can do. There's nothing you can do. You just gotta, you know, you're gonna be swept up or swept in. And, you know, there's not much you can do on the margins. We don't know. Um, but the numbers for Trump, I mean, they continue to be challenging, yet he still has this core group. You know, it doesn't mean that there are people who regret and aren't gonna change their vote. I mean, the, uh, there are as many people who say if they had to do it over, they would not vote at all as say, if I had to do it over, I would vote differently. I know. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's just sad that you would think, like, if I had to do it over, I just wouldn't vote at all. Yeah, that's sad. I, I, I'm not sad that people aren't, like, regretting their votes. I'm sad that people are regretting having voted, voted. at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Um, because that's not like an, oh, I regret voting for my candidate, and I really wish I could have put the other person in the White House. It's more like, ugh, I just wish I wasn't – I wish I hadn't gone to the effort of, of – of even bothering. Um, so one other fun thing, and we're going to talk about this in more detail tonight for the KCRW thing, but we are now, uh, we're so excited to have some data of our own, some like proprietary fun, the pollsters, extra special, special request stuff. Our good friend, John Cohen at survey monkey, uh, was curious, wanted to know what do people remember about election night? Margie, what do you remember about election night? So it was pretty terrible. So here's what I <laughs> – so we had like maybe 40 people at our house and we had gathered all the girls. We were taking pictures of all the little girls watching television and I like went up and we were all like nodding to ourselves like we captured this moment. Like we were all like this is going to be incredible. We're going to love having this photo 40 years from now. And I like went, it's like still makes me upset. Like I went to all the little girls. I'm like, are you girls ready to make some history? And they all looked at me like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. And like <laughs> one of the girls was like, I get it. No, I get, I get it. <laughs> I was like, excellent. Good job. And, um, and then as the 
evening started to go on, like, people were, you know, some of the girls started to cry. People were getting, like, stopped. People stopped talking. Everybody, just the mood sunk. And I had to be on NPR the next day at 5 in the morning. I was like, I can't stay up the whole night because I'm going to go cuckoo. And... And I, and I was like, I have, I need to prepare what I'm going to say before I go to bed. So I don't just like lie in bed, freaking out, thinking about how am I going to talk about this? It was so, it was so upsetting. It was really, and I just stopped. I mean, I had, we had all these guests and I just stopped talking by the end of the night. I just like was lying on the couch and just like was mute. It was pretty terrible. And then the next afternoon after election day, I was in the elevator and I was headed to the airport. And I had my, like a hoodie on and my suitcase and the woman in the elevator is like, are you leaving the country? Can you, I come with you just like a stranger? <laughs> I said, no, not today, but in a couple of days I'm leaving the country. She's like, yeah, that's sounds like a good idea. And then I get to my hotel and like the hotels, like didn't have my reservation. Everything was wrong and terrible. And like, I was fighting with everybody and it was like a mid- midnight, the day after the election. And then like, I finally get to like the hotel where I'm supposed to be. And they're like, would you like a bottle of water? And I burst into tears. Like I just started sobbing like at the, at the check-in counter, like one o'clock and it was like four in the morning. East coast time is now. I had no sleep. And, um, and they're like, what is wrong? I'm like, Hillary Clinton lost and I haven't had any sleep and they didn't have my reservation. Like, I'm just like, I completely lost it. Like, just a lot of things going on right now. <laughs> they like left me all these nice notes. I mean, it was just the most, like, it was very, it was very emotional. And, you know, it took months. Like, it took months. Like, I felt physically ill for months. Like, it took literally months to feel like I could, like, walk around and not feel depressed. I remember very clearly because I was on set for ABC and uh, I just – I distinctly remember going – I was up on the big main set and they were rotating us off the main set down to do the digital segment and then they'd rotate us back up. So like they pulled me away and like Anna Navarro sat in my seat for a hot second while I went down to digital and then they cycled me back in. And it was – I the main, I was on the main set – and like the numbers in Florida, like Hillary Clinton had hit all of her marks in all of these big, you know, bellwether counties, but like it just wasn't happening for her. And then there was all these votes that were supposed to be coming in in Wisconsin that were just like coming in more for Trump than people were expecting. And so as I was leaving the main set to go down to the digital set, that's when it was started to be like, this is happening, man. This is going down. And so I did my digital segment and every, like the digital set was like people being like they it was just like shocked. And by the time I came back up to the main set, the conversation had totally changed. And what I think people don't realize is like the reason why the conversation on election night started off being so like Clinton's going to win. What does this mean for the Republican Party? Is because that's what the early exit polls showed. Like you now have like Brett Baer and Chris Wallace have given these interviews talking about it. I gave an interview to the BBC talking about it. I still have my notes from that night. Those exit polls early on showed that this would potentially be an early night for Hillary Clinton. And that just wasn't correct. So it's part of the like the shock that people felt wasn't necessarily, oh, they're all secret Democrats, blah, blah, fake news, or even like the polls themselves leading up to election day. It's that the exit polls themselves, mm. which I should have known better because you know how I feel about those like early bacon. exit polls. They're like bacon. Don't consume until they're cooked. Mm. Raw, they will kill you. <laughs> Don't do it. And yet I did it. Um, because, you know, you're you're on air. Like it's, 
you got to, you have to have something to talk about. And so I just remember then going back up and the whole mood had changed and everyone realized like this is a very different night than we thought it was when we started. And I pulled out my phone and took a video of George Stephanopoulos making the call, like from my vantage point. Like ah, I've never posted this video anywhere, cool. but like I just have it. Like this is what it looked like to be sitting where I was sitting watching George at the moment this call got made because I just feel like I need to like preserve. Yeah. Cause this is all, and then I went back to the hotel at like three and then I, I freaked out because I thought, Oh my God, like I'm going to have to close my company because nobody's ever going to want to hire pollsters again because they're going to think polls are all wrong and all fake news. And so I'm going to have yeah. to go work at a theme park and I'm going to have to go back and be an actress of the King Kong Rider Universal. And I'm going to, oh, Chris, oh my God, my like a bottle of water. <laughs> so it wasn't even like the, you know, yeah. Because look, I, I was not a fan of Trump. I wasn't a fan of Hillary Clinton. Like it was, it was, it was a, like a lot of emotions mixed with the tiredness, but a lot of it was like, oh my gosh, like my job is to predict elections. I mean, that's not my, that's a small piece of my job. Right. It's a very prominent piece of my job. And we as an industry didn't. Or what is going to happen? And then I had to get back up again like 90 minutes later to go back for GMA. And that's when um, Michael Strahan was in the makeup room and he like fist bumped me. And I was just like, I wish I could enjoy this right now. I wish I could enjoy that Michael Strahan just fist bumped me, but I don't even know my own name He's right like, now. like, this, this, this gal needs a fist bump. <laughs> She's looking. No, but I, I mean, and I was, there were, there were people who like were, we're like crying it. and yeah. stuff. And I like, but so then I immediately went from ABC, got on the train. And then we recorded And the then show. I drank a beer and we, we recorded the, the show. Recorded the show. So if you're looking for like a good, if you want some like election day nostalgia, I highly recommend go back and find our election morning episode. There are some raw emotions and I feel I'm oh, a little intoxicated. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> it's a good listen though. Yes. So all of do. which is to say Survey Monkey, John Cohen asked, how did you feel about election night? And I don't want to spoil the data here, but you should listen to KCRW Left Right Center where we will talk about the findings from this poll. What were the, th the words that Trump voters and Clinton voters think about their first reaction to hearing that Donald Trump would be the next president? Yeah. You might be surprised by the answer. Right. I was a little surprised by the Clinton answer. You might be surprised by some of the surprise that are, that's in the answers. Um, so... We're going to, before we wrap up, we have one more or a couple more timely topics. One of the, for Democrats, one of the really incredible pieces of news from Virginia was the win of Danica Rome, who is Virginia's first transgender legislator. There are other, there have been other transgender uh, women who've been elected in other offices. There was another transgender woman who won in Minneapolis. It was a really incredible night for diversity in the folks who got elected all over the country. And it just so happened that Pew released a poll that they conducted in August and September of this year about transgender acceptance and how people view transgender and saw a really big party divide. But what I thought was, I think, heartening, and this is something that, you know, I think you'll see a lot of news evolving quickly here, because this is a conversation that 
we just did not have at the same type of frequency a few years, just a few years ago. And now it's something that we talk about a lot more often. So I think people are going to move pretty quickly on this. It just now, they just needed some exposure and more information. We, we talked about poll like that a couple months ago or weeks ago. So a plurality, 40% say we have not gone enough, gone far enough as a country to accept people who are transgender. A third say we've gone too far. A quarter say it's been about right. But a plurality say we haven't gone far enough. Um, 60% of Democrats say we haven't gone far enough. 57% of Republicans feel we've gone too far. Um, you have uh, about 40% of folks who say they know somebody who's transgender. Um, usually that person is an acquaintance. But this is something that as people become more visible, that will change these numbers. And they also ask um, just about whether or not – the question is, uh, do you believe that uh, a person is a man or a woman? Is that, A, determined by sex at birth or it can be different from sex at birth? And uh, very heavily divided by political party, as you might imagine. Um, generationally, though, the divide, the divide is smaller um, than it is uh, by political party. So, like, one assumes that that means a lot of – Republican millennials hold different views that, you know, that age is actually not as much of a driver of these views. Um, but for millennials, it is split right down the middle about whether, um, whether a person is a man or a woman is determined by sex at birth or can be different from sex at birth. Yep. I mean, I, I really like, I believe, I firmly believe in a year we'll see these numbers different. Two years from now, we'll see these numbers different. Three years from now, I think people are going to just learn more information and just have more conversations, and it will change these numbers pretty quickly. That's my hope and belief. Something I don't know if it's going to change quickly is views toward sexual harassment. I just, like, I mean, every time I see a sexual harassment story, I mean, I literally want to, like, throw something. I get so angry by all these stories. And there are more and more and more. I mean, every day, like literally every day, day. like I, I, I want, like I need to just vent it. There's a kick, there's like a punching bag in the gym here at the Ace Hotel. (laughs) Like I want to go just like beat the crap out of that punching bag because I'm just so, so mad about this. So, um, people are divided though on whether the recent coverage will actually change behavior. So CNN did a poll on this. Um, Will recent coverage of sexual harassment reduce the amount of inappropriate behavior women face? And men are slightly more likely than women to think that this will actually change behavior. Men, by a pretty healthy margin, think, yeah, all of this coverage is going to change things. Women, a little more uncertain. Right. Um, mm. Although still a, plur- a majority do think that things will change as a result of this coverage. But it's, it is not as many as with men. Um and uh, will recent attention on sexual harassment and assault lead to more widespread understanding of what they are? People are a little more confident that at least we have more of an understanding that, like, that is that is not okay behavior. Doesn't mean people will stop doing it, but at least we now have a conversation about, like, it is not okay to kiss an employee on the mouth. It is not okay to grab somebody. Don't. Don't ask them don't to yeah. put your junk I'll, on someone. <laughs> don't, just like, it, just, how hard is it? Like, I don't understand. Like, why is it so hard, people? I don't Keep get your it. junk to yourself. Uh, will recent coverage on sexual harassment and assault make it harder for men and women to interact in the workplace? Majority of men and women say 
it won't. It's not going to make it harder. But just barely. I mean, just barely. I mean, people are pretty pretty divided. This is from CNN. And it was just released, I think, today or yesterday. <sighs> well, I, the, you know, that result actually doesn't surprise me. I, I might – if I was taking that survey, I might even say it would make it. Just because I can see – Men feeling the need Confused. to be more on edge, right. even if they are keeping their junk to themselves, right. worrying, you know. Like today, I went to tape a show uh, that was a video show, and I needed to put my mic on. And like the the men, like normally, I'm such like an exhibitionist. I think like the, in the that mic I'm like, thing is like a th- is unzip a thing. my dress, yeah. stick the stupid pack on the bra strap. This is not a sexual thing. Like, right. let's just put the mic on. But, like, it was very, like, we're going to have a woman come put the mic pack on you. And, like, that was de- – <laughs> but I don't know if that's just, like, they are a more, like, conservative, <laughs> modest crew. And here I'm right. the, like, heathen that's, like, take right. off my clothes. I don't, I don't, put on the mic. I let's go. I don't have time for, for modesty. <laughs> but, don't have time. But, like, uh, you know, things yeah, like no, that. I mean, you can you can see, like, okay, well, on my own, you know. I, I'm just saying I might have actually responded saying yes. Yeah, At no, least in the short run, this may make – uh, this may make some well-intentioned men worried about interacting with women and like not wanting to do something wrong. Well, what's interesting about these questions, and there's so many different dimensions to exploring this, is that these questions don't real. They're not like they don't put you in kind of your partisan feminist box. They are like I mean, it's not clear what the sort of is there a feminist answer? Is there a partisan answer to these questions? Not really. Unless it's just like it's good are if you, there's not clear what the right answer is. I know. I, I agree, and that's why. But that's partly, I think, why they're so evenly divided. Because mm-hmm. you're like, are you optimistic that this is ever going to get better? And people are like, mm, I don't, I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't know. And um, and so that you know is sad, but is not partisan. I guess one small mercy. Um. So, Margie, as we finish the show, I have a question to ask you. <laughs> what should cost less, a gallon of gas or a gallon of milk? <laughs> I'm going to quote the person who tweeted this out, which is Ian Bremmer. I go, I'd go with yes. <laughs> this is, uh, it is from, what is this from? It looks like it's from a, a paper, a dead tree newspaper. The Post Journal. The Post What's journal? the Post Journal? It could be any place, right? Uh, Post Journal. Uh, so it is question of the day. What should cost less, a gallon of gas or a gallon of milk? And the response options are yes and no. James, the Jamestown, New York paper. So this is not a question that local should news, have man. Those local local news is getting decimated. So please check it out in show notes if you want a, a good little chuckle. <sighs> All right, Margie, we got to run or else these cases. Yeah, well, that's good because I don't have anything written up. So. Up. so what did we learn? <laughs> I didn't we learned have anything stuff. written up. <laughs> All I know is a great job, Team Blue. We had such an incredible. This is not a pollster comment. This is just like I'm just super excited. Still, I feel like a brief sigh of relief before we move on to 2018 watch out for the margie margin if you stray too far from the margie margin you may have the return of the gender avenger coming and smashing stuff which is basically how i feel about all the rest of the news um and tweet us your memories from a year ago hopefully a year from now your memories will be a little bit better you can find us on twitter at, at the pollsters individually at margie omero and at k anderson or at www.thepolsters.com thanks bye